anyway, today we're going to be talking about process to promise. We're going to be talking about all those moments that we don't usually talk about, right? Those in-between moments, those moments where we're changing diapers or we're driving to work, we're doing the things that you don't take pictures of, right? You look through your pictures and you see, oh, a family vacation, and this is when we went to the amusement park, and this is when we did this fun event, but very seldom do you see pictures of like, oh, this is when we were eating dinner. This is when we were going about the process. Oh, those are pictures from that time when we really went through that struggle. Oh, there's the picture when we got that health scare, right? We don't usually like document, talk about, brag about these moments. But the process is so important. The Greek word in the New Testament used for the word process is actually, it's pronounced dakeme, meaning this. It means a result approval, approval, proving, a trial, the process or result of approved character. So basically, this word, dakeme, process, is a time in which your character is approved, when you are tested, the process, right? If you've ever walked through a process, you know that feeling. Man, this is a process. My character is really being tried, is being approved. I can feel it. I can feel this is a test. How will I respond in this process? How will I respond walking out this health scare? How will I respond walking out people talking about me? How will I respond? How will my character be developed? Doc Ame, the process. We see this word in Romans 5.3, and it says this. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance, also translated here as perseverance in some scriptures, experience in some translations, is the word dakeme in Greek. The process develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. Man, the process, the experience, the perseverance, the endurance of walking through the process develops our character. It leads to promise. Look, when I became a mom, the process of developing a baby in my belly developed a lot of character, right? That process, man, works out a lot of things in us because our body is in pain, we're struggling, it's a difficult season, but I love it because at the end of this process, there is life. The process, though, is what develops the life and the promise within us. Then I became a mom, right? And that's a whole nother process. Right? A process. And I think sometimes we all, we talk about the big moments, right? The moments where they're, they're in their terrible threes or the moments where we're tired of changing diapers. But you know what the hardest part about being a mom is for me? The day in, the day out routine of it all. The process. The fact that my, bed, my son goes to bed at 8 p.m., 8.30 every single night that I have to keep him on this schedule, that he naps from one to three, and I can't ever do anything from one to three, right? The day in, the day out process of being a mother. The character that's developed, though, from those moments is what leads to promise. The day in, the day out endurance. James 1.12 says this, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, the person will receive the crown of life the Lord has promised to those who love him, those who persevere, who experience it, who walk through it. What does scripture say? That we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? We walk through these seasons 
but they'll get what the Lord has promised them. The process brings about the promise, and we know it, right? But it's often much harder to really walk through it. People told us when we moved to Oklahoma, and this is if we were to move anywhere, it's always a two-year process of getting to know people, right? Of even learning who people are. Oh, you're related to that person? Oh, I didn't know that. A two-year process of gaining trust. A two-year process of learning what grocery store you like to shop at. A two-year process. If you've ever moved, you know this. Like, it takes at least two years to really feel like this is my home. I actually know some people. I actually know the stores I like to go to. I actually know where the ingredients are in this grocery store, right? That two-year process. I was not ignorant to this, though. In Bible college, they have you read a book, the first two years of ministry. It's always talked about. Before we moved here, my friend who's a counselor, she said, don't even question anything for two years. Don't question if you're staying or going, if you like it or don't like it, for two years. Because it will take two years for you to even know where you live, right? I knew this. But those two years were harder than I thought. Not in a bad way, not that it was, but the process of going to a grocery store you don't know, right? The process of being new in a city. The process of those two years is actually a lot different and more difficult than we know. Even if we know, there's a process. Scripture talks all about processes. We know this. But when we're living in it, when we are in the midst of the process, it develops a lot of character, takes a lot of endurance, and a lot of perseverance to make it through the process. Today we're going to look at the life of Moses. And I love this because we know Moses, right? Moses was the man, he's a hero of our faith. He is the man that went and saved the Israelite people from slavery and brought them out of slavery in Egypt to the promised land. And he was like the foreshadowing of Christ who would come and rescue us from slavery so that we could have relationship with God and have eternity in heaven. Man, Moses is like a hero. We talk about that moment, but you know what we don't talk about a lot? Moses was called at the age of 80. Moses went through an 80-year process before he went and saved the people from slavery. And the process matters. I wouldn't think that God would have Moses go through an 80-year-old process if it didn't matter. It mattered for Moses to be able to do what God was going to ask him to do. The process matters. Man, we are wimps, right? Two days into a process and we're like, oh, gosh, like I need a nap. I can't do this, right? My mom got a pinched like nerve in her shoulder about six months ago, and she just like toughed it out for months. Her shoulder just hurt. And I'm like, go to the doctor or something, you know? Like she just walked out the process, right, of pain. It's funny because then, like, a few months later, I get the same pinched nerve in my shoulder. And within days, I've gotten massages. I've went to another masseuse. I've called people. I've asked people. I've taken medication. I'm like, I don't got time for this, right? Like, we got to get this shoulder fixed. I'm not going to. But that's what we do, right? We don't got time for this process. I don't got time for this road bump, right? I don't got time for this curveball in my life. I don't got time for this process. What is the fastest, quickest, easiest way that I can get through this? But the process matters, and sometimes, like Moses, it's an 80-year process. But man, we have been developed to love Instagram, where it's just quick, 
put up a cute picture, right? The microwave, you pop in your food, your food pops out, you eat it, you don't have to wait, you don't have to be patient, you don't have to walk through any processes. But God is all about the process. And the process is many times what leads us to the promised land. So we're going to look today at the 40-year seasons. I love it. There are 40-year blocks in Moses' life of preparation and a process. So the first 40 years we're going to look at today, years 1 through 40, for Moses was the process of the palace. Moses was born as a Hebrew slave, and he survived, and he was rescued, and he became Pharaoh's daughter's son, and he was brought into the palace. He went from slavery and was given a place at the king's table. He was pulled out. The very name Moses means pulled out of. Right? He was pulled out of the water. He was rescued out of slavery. He was pulled up out of that and brought to the palace. I mean, can you imagine a slave to a prince? He was a Hebrew servant boy. Look, the king wanted to kill him. He was destined to death, and he found himself living in the very palace. Man, talk about how did I get here, right? Like, I don't belong here. How did I get here? <laughs> How am I in the palace? It's a part of the process. And if any of us are walking with the Lord right, we too have had this part of a process where we have been pulled out of. Where we were once living in sin and slavery and Christ pulled us out of that water and brought us to the palace, to the king's table. Maybe you find yourself living in a season where you're like, how did I get here? Right? How did I get here? How am I in the palace? Look, during these four, first 40 years of his life, he was given the best training, the best education, the best preparation that Egypt could offer. Man, he learned the ins and the outs of the palace, what it was actually like inside the walls of the palace. He was tutored probably by retired military and political leaders. He learned how to speak with the military. He learned how to speak with political leaders. He learned how to be a leader, how to interact with people who have authority and who are in charge. From a slave to a prince, this was all a process of preparation. And one day Moses saw a Hebrew slave being beaten by an Egyptian soldier, and he took in defending the Hebrew. He killed the Egyptian. And as he buried that Egyptian's body, he also knew he was burying his promise of being the prince any longer. He knew his time in the palace would be done. And as people found out and his actions became known, he had to flee Egypt, the palace, right? Like the how did I end up here moment. And he ended up fleeing for his life, and he ended up in Midian in the wilderness. And this would lead into his next 40 years of his process, from years 41 to years 80. 40 years, he would be a shepherd in the wilderness of Midian. Man, he went from being the highest position to the lowest. Shepherds in this time were pretty much the lowest of the low. They worked with dirty, unruly sheep day in and day out in the field. They were the lowest of the low. He basically went from being a prince to being a pauper. From the palace to the pasture. This was his process of the pasture. But it's in this pasture where Moses' heart training happened. In the palace, he gained the education, the understanding, the ability, the tools 
And here he found himself in the process of the pasture where his heart would be trained. Where he would serve unnoticed, he wouldn't be important, he was no longer a prince, no longer in the palace. A simple shepherd. But once again, he was in the process of preparation. But haven't we been there? Man, we're living large, right? We are in the palace. Like maybe you guys are in the palace now, or maybe you're finding yourself in the pasture, and you're like, man, I once used to be in the palace, (laughs) and now I'm here. I remember when I worked in fashion in L.A., always walking around like the office and stuff, or when I was like drawing the artwork and being like, are they going to find out that, like, I have a Bible college degree? (laughs) Like, are they going to find out I don't belong here? Like, how did I end up here? And, like, when are they going to find out and fire me, right? Like, when are they going to find out that, like, I don't belong in the fashion world, right? I went to Bible college. When are they going to figure it out? And I can only think Moses walking around realizing that he was a slave in the palace and being like, man, do I belong here? This is, is this too good to be true? Is this really what God has for me? And then the rug being pulled out from under him, he finds himself a shepherd in Midian and is like, of course it was too good to be true. And we all go through these seasons where, man, life is going good. And the rug gets pulled out from under us. When I was working in fashion, I felt like the Lord wanted me to quit because I was newly married and I was driving like three and a half hours in traffic every day to get to my job from just L.A., So I quit, and then I had to get a job, so I started nannying, and I was wiping some other person's kid's butt. And I remember being like, what? (laughs) Like, I knew it was too good to be true. Like, I knew I didn't belong in the palace. I knew I didn't belong in that world. Here I am, back where life puts me, back where I belong, right? But it was in those days when I was nannying that I would walk the streets for two hours trying to get this kid to go to sleep. But I would just, like, pray and pray and pray as I pushed him in the stroller. And it was in those moments where God called us to our next church. It was in those moments where God spoke to me as a new wife about my marriage. It was in those moments where God developed a character and a heart posture in me that I would need. Those moments matter. Look, we may go through a process of becoming lower. The longer I walk with God, I feel like the lower he takes me. Right? I feel like I am just on a trajectory of palace to like slave. <laughs> but isn't that our God? I mean, he came from heaven to earth. He came not to ser- or not to be served, but to serve, to take a lower posture. Man, we go through processes many times of being lowered where God's working out the character of our heart. I remember TD, he was in Arizona going to college, and he was going to work for Google, right? Which would be awesome. We'd have so much money right now. (laughs) And he's smart. He could do it. Like, he was going to school for computer engineering. He could definitely do it. And God said, no, I want you to go to Bible college. And everyone was like, no, right? His parents were like, that doesn't make any sense. That's lower on the totem pole, right? But God spoke. And God does this a lot. No, Callie, you're going to be a nanny. No, TD, you're not going to work for Google. You're going to serve my church, right? And we've all had these moments where God said, no, actually, that position looks good. But I want you to sit at the foot of the table, not the head. And it's in those moments where our character is developed, the process. It's like a slingshot where we are being pulled back so that God can launch us. But many times in this pulling back season, we're like, no, no, no. No, 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 no. 
But if we're not pulled back, we will never go far. But we have to move slower. Sometimes we have to move down. God will ask us many times to lower ourselves, but we have to understand lowering ourselves is not taking steps backwards. It is actually taking steps towards promise. He went from palace to the pasture. He could have thought, oh my gosh, I have moved backwards in my life. But it's crazy because God was positioning him for greater promise. There's a book that I, it's my favorite kid's book. I read it to Luca all the time. And it talks about how the world always wants us to be the tallest of the talls. And this little boy always wanted to walk on stilts. And he wanted to be able to see above everybody, to walk above everybody else. And then he gets, finally gets to be a person that walks up on stilts. And he realizes the birds like to perch up here. And this is not as fun as I thought. And he falls all the way to the ground. And then he realizes this is where Jesus is. With the lowest of the lows. In the midst of it. And I love it because it ends by saying, let's leave the system tip-tilted. How many know as Christians, we're called to leave the system tip-tilted? God sees things, views things very differently than we do, especially in America, right? He views the postures differently. I love this. It says this in Hebrews of Moses. It says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. I love this. It's saying, man, Moses, because he knew where his promise laid, that he actually would rather be a slave to be known as one of these than to be reap the rewards and the treasures of the palace. He knew the way God viewed things. His reward was in heaven. He left the system tip-tilted. He valued the pasture. In Matthew 19, it says this. It says, many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. And Jesus told them in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Other translations say, but you're not to be like that. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leader should be like a servant. Man, don't be confused, right? If the process has taken you from the palace to the pasture and you are looking around like, God, I thought I was following you and I am in the wilderness. I like once had this life and was like, how did I end up here? And now I'm in the pasture. I feel like I've taken steps backwards, not forwards. I feel lower, less authority than I once had. Man, you can take heart, take courage. If the process takes you from the head of the table to the foot, because in the midst of the process, in the midst of the process of the pasture, God is working things out for your good. Even the Son of Man lowered himself and became a servant to us. Even the Son of Man took a low status. Like when you are in a low status, live in it. Man, embrace it. Do all that you can do with what God has given you. Because promise is in the process if you can persevere. And I love it. Persevere means 
to continue in a course of action even in the face of difficulty or with little or no prospect of success. So I think sometimes we think of perseverance and we think if I can just persevere, I will get there. But you know what perseverance is? When there's nothing ahead of you. (laughs) Just the wilderness. There's no hope of a new job. No hope of being promoted. No hope of getting out of this town. No hope of getting a new house. No hope of getting a new marriage. No hope of this. But still, you persevere. Persevere when there is no sight of success in the future. No prospect of success. When he was tending the sheep in the pasture, no one had heard about him. He had no clue he would be back in the palace. He tended his sheep. He persevered. Perseverance also means to give it everything you have to press on. It says it means to leave no stone unturned, being tenacious. So basically perseverance, too, with no sign of success in your future, right? No like, okay, if I persevere, I'll be promoted. Okay, this is what I'm looking towards. This is the goal. No, when you're just persevering and everything is foggy in the wilderness, it also says perseverance means to be tenacious, not just like moan and groan, well, like, I just got to persevere through this season, right? I just got to keep going. I got to put my boots on and, like, keep going. No, it means be tenacious. Man, live life to the fullest. Moses, when he was in the wilderness, he had a family. He had children. He became a good shepherd. He learned the ways of the wilderness. He learned what it meant to tend for sheep. He was tenacious. He lived life even in the pasture. Gain everything you can from the wilderness. Learn the ways of the wilderness. I was listening to a sermon the other day from a pastor who had went through an extremely difficult season with one of his children. And he said, you know, I never knew people suffered until I suffered. And I'm like, that's brave of a pastor to say that, but it's true. Until we suffer, we don't know what it means to suffer. We don't understand that other people suffer like that. Until I dealt with mental illness, something I thought I would never in a million years deal with. Until I dealt with it, I experienced it, I processed it, I walked through it. I didn't know other people suffered like that. I didn't even know what it meant, really. I was very ignorant. But when we walk through a process, we gain understanding of what it's like to be in the wilderness. And Moses would have to know that wilderness in and out because he was about to lead people in it for 40 years. He had to know the ways of that wilderness. Let me tell you, if we want to lead people through wildernesses, if we want to be a people that walk with people through these times, we're going to have to go through our own wilderness. And when we're in it, you've got to learn the ways of it. I would be no good to people if when I went through panic attacks and my own struggles, if I learned nothing during that season, if I just mumbled and grumbled from point A to point B till it was done. You have to learn, live in it, embrace it, persevere through it. Man, God, what can I learn and get out of this? Because then, now on the flip side, do you know how the most calls I get from people are because of anxiety and panic? Because they're like, help me. And I think so many times as a church, we have this motto, which hear me, I am not against this motto. Be so different from the world that they just ask you, like, what do you have? I want what you have. But you know what I think is more powerful? When people realize, dang, you're just like me and God loves you, right? People aren't going to walk up to you and be like, wow, you're so different. You're just like heavenly. I want to be heavenly. No, 
They're going to walk up to you and be like, dang, you have panic attacks too, and God loves you, and God sees you. You're just like me, and God loves you. Man, I can think of like Moses going back to these people saying, I'm going to rescue you from slavery. And they were like, man, you used to be a slave. Man, you've walked in this wilderness. You can lead us. Man, you can help me get me out of slavery. You can help get me through this wilderness because you've walked it. You were a shepherd in it for 40 years. Moses got everything he could out of his process of the pasture. It says in Numbers 12, it says, Now Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on earth. Dang. <laughs> like, I want that to be said of me. The pasture was good for Moses. <laughs> he was the most humble man on earth. The process of the pasture where he gained the heart of a shepherd, not just the power of the press. Look, both were needed. I think a lot of times we have a poverty mentality and we don't think we can be in the palace or should be. Look, he needed time in the palace. He needed to learn how to lead, how to be powerful, how to have authority, how to speak with people in authority, how to speak with leaders, how to speak with rulers. But he also needed a time in the pasture where he could become humbled where he could learn the heart of a shepherd, where he could be usable. And I love it because when he was the most humble man on earth, then Jesus, or then God said, okay, I think I'll use you. And a lot of us spend a lot of time trying to become more confident, right? Which is good. We need to. But look, when he was the most humble man, a shepherd in the middle of the wilderness, God said, you, I can use you. Now you're usable, Right? Through the process of the pasture, he became powerful. And God took that wilderness and he turned it into holy ground. Think about your own wilderness. The places that you're in where you're just like going about your day and you're, there's no hope of a future or a promise. God took those moments and he made it into holy ground. It says this in chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. This is the thing, too. He was working for his father-in-law. It's not even like he was his own shepherd. He was a shepherd for his father-in-law, right? It's just like he moved there and met someone and then started working for her dad, right, in the pasture. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. I love it because he was at the far side of the wilderness, he was as deep in the wilderness as you can get, right? As unseen as you can get, as far removed from society as you can get. Deep in the wilderness, a remote place. And it continues and says, there, in that remote place, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that through the bush was, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when, Moses, or when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. In the depths of the wilderness, a lowly place and not important place, a pasture for shepherds, the lowest of people, was turned to holy ground. 
the moments where you are unseen, you are just a shepherd in the middle of nowhere, God can turn those moments into holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have seen, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way of the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Basically, he shows up and says, okay, I'm about to bring my people from their own process to a promise. And you're going to be the one to lead them. And look, Moses, after this passage, would go on to argue about why he's not the one to do it. <laughs> like, I don't think I should go back to the palace. I stutter when I talk. I'm not your guy. Like, he would go on to argue with the Lord about why he was not the man for the job. But what's interesting is he was the exact man for the job. The process had made him both a shepherd and a prince. He was going back to the palace that he knew with a shepherd's staff knowing that he would have to lead and shepherd people. The process had equipped him. An 80-year process had made it possible for him to do this. And I love it because he was also going back with God's plan and God's power. I think oftentimes we look for the burning bush moments in the palace, though. Oftentimes we're like, man, okay, I hear God. This is, things are going good. So, like, where are you? Like, I'm going to experience you like I'm on this mountaintop. When burning bush moments often come in the pasture, as we're just tending sheep, in those quiet moments, the unsuspecting moments. I mean, this is all throughout Scripture. This is like a theme of Scripture, right? In those unsuspecting moments. Like, Christ came and was born in a stable, a normal, ordinary, everyday stable. He didn't come as a big, powerful warrior or prince like people thought. He came in a humble, normal, ordinary way. Scripture talks about keep your eyes open because I will return. What? On a normal, ordinary day when you are going about your daily business. Man, Jesus loves coming, entering in to ordinary moments. He's going to return on an ordinary, everyday basis. It says, keep your eyes open, because when you least expect it, I'm coming. And here, Moses, in the wilderness, just tending sheep. It's been 40 years. In the most unexpected moment, an ordinary day, Jesus, Lord, God, shows up in a burning bush. He wasn't walking around looking for God like, oh, he was tending his sheep, doing what he does. And God said, no, today is the day that I'm going to show up and call you. On an ordinary day, look, we've got to keep our eyes open. If you are in the midst of a pasture in your own wilderness, open your eyes. Open your eyes because God can turn it into holy ground. God enters into a process. In the unseen moments, the moments when we're going about our day, the moments no one else sees, the humblest of places, God turns to holy ground. If we're hidden in slavery in the depths of the pasture, that's when God called Moses. 
Moses was a Hebrew slave, God pulled him out and took him to the palace. And when he was a shepherd in the midst of the wilderness, God pulled him up and brought him back to the palace. But a lot of times we just want to wait until the palace for God to show up. But God shows up in the midst of the wilderness. God wants to turn our process into holy moments and send us out equipped. Look, Moses would take his shepherd's staff and his prince's scepter, and he would go in with the tools to rescue these people. The pasture is necessary. In the pasture, he learned a different strategy. I think about his strategy when he was a prince. When he was a prince, his strategy when someone was being abused was to kill them. (laughs) That was his strategy. (laughs) Like, they are fighting my people, I'm going to fight them. And you can tell if where people are at in a process on where their strategy is. I can tell in my own heart where I'm at in the process based on my strategy. And we have a lot of Christians walking around with human strategies, right? Well, they punched me, so I'm going to punch them. Well, they gossiped about me, so let me tell a few things about them. Well, they fight me, I'll fight them back. Right? This strategy, but I love it. After Moses spent 40 years in the shepherd in the wilderness... In his own struggle, his own unseen, becoming the most humble man in the world, he would go back being like, God, you've got to do it. I'll raise my rod. You turn it into a snake. I'll do my part, but God, it's all you. This is above my pay grade. (laughs) But that's what made him so powerful. Because he realized it's above my pay grade. I'm going in with a different strategy. But I'll do it. And I'll go. And we have many Christians fighting the enemy's strategy with his own, his own playbook. But after a season in the pasture of tending the flock, he was coming back to the palace with God's authority this time. Not with his prince authority. He wasn't coming back as a prince. He was coming back as a shepherd. But with God's authority. Not as a prince who could take it into his own hands and kill the guy. But as a shepherd who had no power except God's. It's the moments in the wilderness, in the pasture where we learn that we aren't in control, where we don't have the power, and we get a new perspective on the battle. Look, the palace is good, but the process of the pasture is what makes us threats to the kingdom of darkness. The process of the pasture, of learning that all this is above your pay grade, that we are not in control, that's what makes us powerful. When I was going through, I mean, this was probably the darkest day, which some of you, a lot of you probably know this, but the darkest day in the last two years of our life. I was in the ER, and I couldn't move my body, and I couldn't speak. And I, I mean, they thought I was having a stroke or a brain aneurysm or something. They didn't know. Anyway, and I'm just laying there, and TD wasn't there because he got kicked out of the ER because he was being emotional. Anyway, so I'm literally laying in the room. We're growing, too. You know, we're learning. But I was also kind of proud of him, so I don't know whether to like him yet. But we're like, I'm laying there literally all alone, can't speak. I literally think I'm dying. One of the nurses said, well, you're alive right now in this moment, so that's what we're going to focus on. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm dying. <laughs> this is not good, right? And I'm laying there, and this is all real, right? It's fun to, like, talk about, but that's, I mean, I was literally in that moment. And this amazing nurse sneaks into my room. I can just picture her. She, like, pulls open the curtain, and I'm just laying there in the bed thinking, like, am I about to go to heaven? And she comes in, and she literally, like, sneaks in, and she gets right above my bed, and she looks down at my eyes, and she says, you are not fighting an earthly battle. You are fighting a spiritual battle. And in that moment, all this stuff rose up in me of, like, right, this is God's battle. This is not mine. And she began to talk about how, like, I've seen your test results. This is not of this earth. 
something, there's something else going on here. But you know what? In the midst of our wilderness is when we start realizing there is more to the story here. There is a real enemy that I am fighting, and the only one that has the power over him is God. And when I walked out, I remember me and T holding hands, like, just like in a daze, walking out of that ER, being like, what just happened to us? Like, oh, my God, am I going to make it through this? Like, as I, we walked out of the ER, I felt so much. I was weak. I was tired. I was crying. I mean, I was a mess. But inside, I was so powerful because I had really realized who was in control and who I was fighting and who would be victorious. And I can only think that that's how Moses was when God called him back to the palace. Man, I've been a shepherd for 40 years. I've walked through the wilderness. I've been nobody. I know where I stand, but I'm going back and I'll fight. But with God's strategy, with God's power, with his authority, Moses knew his place. And many times in the palace, we begin to think we're gods. Even the princes back in Egypt, they believed that they were themselves the gods. But in the pasture, we realize we aren't. <laughs> and sometimes we got to go through the process of the pasture. Moses knew his place. He raised his shepherd's rod, what he had to offer, and God parted the Red Sea. He did his part, and God did his. And then that would lead him into years 81 through 120, when he would die at the age of 120. But... The next 40 years would be the process of the promise. From 80 years old to 120. So if you are 80 in the room today, you are still ripe. Because Abraham started his process to the promise at 80. Man, you have so much to offer if you are 80 in the room. Because you have walked a process that many of us have not walked. And he began to lead God's people to the promised land with God's power. He needed to know the ways of the palace. He needed to know the ways of the shepherd. He needed to know his way around the wilderness as he led these unruly, spoiled people around the wilderness for 40 years. But as we close today, I was just reminded as I was thinking about this story where the process began, where it all began. And I feel like God was reminding me of the woman's process that led to Moses even becoming a prince in the palace. And it was his mom. A mom in the middle of a situation where her son was to be murdered by the palace. And it says in scripture that she hid Moses for three months so that he wouldn't be murdered because all of the young boys were, Hebrew boys were being killed. So she hid her son for three months. And then she got a basket and she put that basket together and it says that she waterproofed that basket. She did all this stuff to make sure that that basket would with, withhold her son as she let him go. And I think about what those three months of a process must have been like. Because she was in the midst of her own slavery. In the, her own wilderness. In her own pasture. And then totally in the midst of her slavery, she was completely unseen. Like no one could walk this out with her. No one could know she even had a child. No one knew she was going through this. Except for the few people in her household. And she sat there for three months, and she fed this child. She cared for this child. She hid him. She nurtured him. All the while, weaving a basket and waterproofing a basket that she knew she would have to let him go in. That's where the beginning of the story of slave, the people being freed from slavery began. With this woman in her quiet, dark home, hiding away to save the life of her child. 
weaving a basket. No glory, no honor, no recognition. Look, she is not written about in the Bible very much. She's not the hero of our faith like Moses is. But her process was important, just as important. And we each have different processes, but she had to do what God had asked her. Freedom for her people began with her in the dark, weaving a basket of sacrifice. A basket that she would weave together and let her, I mean, could you imagine sending your son away, your child? But I love it because it's such a beautiful picture of how God weaves together our baskets. Like how he wove together the basket of Moses through being a shepherd, through being in the palace, through character development, through his mind and learning the ways of the palace and learning how to speak with kings and also learning how to shepherd people, learning how to be seen and learning how to be unseen. And God would weave together this basket that when God asked him, he was equipped to go. And I can only think about this mom as she weaved together that basket knowing when God asked, this basket has to be able to hold my son. Right? Weaving together. The process matters. Every strand, every woven part matters to hold up when God asks because God will ask. And we have a lot of flimsy baskets floating around out there in the water. <laughs> a lot of Christians that are just like bobbing around. And when God asks us, we try to go, but then we fail miserably. And we're like, well, why did I just fail so miserably? But it's because in those dark, unseen moments, maybe we weren't weaving the basket. We weren't actually getting the most out of the pasture, the most out of the process, the most out of being a shepherd, the most out of doing the unseen things. We weren't allowing it to build character in us and develop us. Man, I think about this mom, when she stood and she did not chase her son. She didn't send the basket away and then go running after Moses. She planted her feet. And she let the basket go. When God asked of her, man, she stood strong. But I could, she had to have been in those moments of weaving that basket. Man, God had to have been doing a character work in her. That God, I'm willing. God, I'm willing to let him go. I'm willing to not be his mom. I'm willing to do what you're asking me to do. I'm willing to trust you. I'm willing to believe that you will take care of him. I'm willing to believe at a level that is like crazy to think about. But when it happened, when God asked, when the time came, she obviously did the character work because she stood there as the basket floated away. The same word, I love it here in scripture that's used to describe this basket is the same exact word that's used to describe the ark. When Noah would be rescued during the flood. And it's the same kind of story, man. God wants to create life from areas that are dark in our life, from the wilderness moments, from the tough moments. But what happened with Noah when he was building the ark? People mocked him. <laughs> like, come party with us. Why would you be wasting your time building an ark? It's not even flooding. It's not even raining yet. But that's what we do, right? We'll build the ark when it starts raining. I'll weave my basket when I'm about to be put in the water. <laughs> 
But we've got to be a people who in the midst of the process, the everyday changing diapers, going to work, coming home from work, hanging out with our families, loving our neighborhood, doing the things that we do, we get everything we can out of it. Because when the ask comes, will our basket hold up? Will it have missing holes? Because, well, we didn't weave that one very well. <laughs> we didn't weave that lesson. But will we hold up? like the ark, like the basket, and bring life to people. We've got to do the prep work, but we can trust God to do the rest. Right? Noah did the prep work. That's all he did. God did the miracle. Moses' mom, man, she did the prep work. God did the miracle. Moses did the prep work. God did the miracle. He just rolled, raised up his staff, the thing he had learned, the thing he knew, and God did the miracle. But the asks are coming, and many of you have had asks in your life. I can go back through my life and see about three or four big asks that God did. And now on the, this side of it, I see the months leading up to that where God was weaving that basket. <laughs> but some of us today, God's weaving a basket, and we can feel it. We can feel that character being developed in us. We can feel that these moments matter, the way I respond to this matters, because God's developing me something. I'm telling you guys, an ask is coming. <laughs> you can't get away from it. God has plans for you and purposes for us. We've got to be ready. This past season, which many of you maybe know this story, but um, I'm really flaking now, so I'm just going to say it because it was gross. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm like that. I am still on time, though. I do preach longer than I do. Anyway, but I, uh, okay, so most of us know I had an awful pregnancy, and then I went through this last season of just like mental health issues, physical health issues. I was diagnosed with several things. I mean, it's been a crazy couple of years. But in one of my counseling sessions, and even with doctors, we pretty much came to the conclusion that a lot of this probably stemmed from my pregnancy. Because my pregnancy was so rough. I was so depleted mentally. My body was so physically depleted. I mean, I had IVs. I, I mean, it was, in, it was rough. But I was so depleted that when we moved here, my body, my mind, everything just kind of like started shutting down because I was so, my body was so weak and depleted, and I just didn't even know it, and I was unaware of it. But it all basically, if they are correct, leads back to my pregnancy. So you would understand how I am fearful to do that again. And right at the time when I started feeling like, okay, I'm getting past all this, like God's really done a work, like I'm healed, like I'm moving forward, that process, 40-year process, I'm just putting the cap on. We're going to move forward like God's doing a new thing. I felt like God started saying, it's time for you to try again. It's time for you to start trying to have another baby. You got to understand, like, I'm like, wait, we know what that did before. <laughs> like, that, is it going to catapult me again into another, like, five-year process, right? Is this going to catapult me into another years of healing, of recovering, of getting my body even physically back? Like, Will I even make it through this? I literally was scared because I'm like, will I die? Like, I don't even know if I can physically go through that again. I'm not as young as I was when I had Luca. All of this stuff, right? And I kept, kept feeling the Lord say, no, I, you, I need you to trust me. Just trust me, right? Just like that lady as she pushed, the mom pushed her basket out. Just trust, just trust me. Do what I'm asking and trust me. Push it out. Push the basket out, right? You've weaved it these last couple years, five years, whatever. You have weaved this basket. It's time to trust me. So I texted my friend who's a pastor, and I said, okay, I think God's telling me to get pregnant, but I don't want to die, so I'm scared to do this. So I need you to pray. So she prayed and she fasted for me. And I'm sorry if you've heard this story and haven't prayed again. But 
she prayed and she fasted for me. And when the fast was over, she was texting me saying, hey, what do you feel like God was saying? And I was like, I just feel like God's saying to trust him. I don't feel like he's promising me a child or that that's even necessarily the point. I just feel like he's asking me to start trying to trust him, to push the fast forward, right? And she texted me back and she's like, that's exactly, I kept hearing the word proceed. I kept hearing the word proceed. As she's texting me, I fell down the stairs. Like, from stair 30 to all the way to the bottom. Like, literally, as I'm texting her saying, God, I will trust you. I fell all the way down the stairs. And I'm laying at the bottom of the stairs like, oh, my gosh. My God, did you hear I said yes? Like, are we confused? Like, I remember even telling her, I think a demon pushed me down the stairs. I'm telling you, our house is possessed. Like, I was just like, what's going on? I said yes to God. Right? I pushed the basket out. And then I went to the ER because we thought we broke my tailbone and all this stuff. In the midst of going to urgent care, that's when they found the masses on my uterus. Just because they did x-rays of my tailbone. And if I would have had a child, we would have lost the child. And it was a moment of waking up and realizing that, right, if I just trust God, right, I'm only responsible for the yes. I'm only responsible for walking out the process. God will do the miracles. And even the moments that are intended for death. Look, that day, I was like, we're going to start trying to have a baby, right? That day, I fell down the stairs. Another process, a whole nother journey began. I've had to have surgery. A whole nother process began, but a process that led to life and not death. But we got to trust God. We got to say yes. Yes, God, I'll go through it again. Yeah, God, I'll do it even though I'm terrified to do it, because God can be trusted. That is not a story of like, woohoo, Callie said yes, because I did it like half-heartedly, like, okay, I'm going to do this, right? It's a story of God can be trusted. How else would they have found masses in my uterus, but then doing an x-ray on a tailbone, right? I had no clue it was in me. I had no clue that I wouldn't be able to even have a, give birth to a child, but God did. So if you're in the midst of a wilderness today, if it's confusing, you see no sign of success, no sign of hope, my encouragement today would be, man, open your eyes and start looking for a burning bush because God wants to show up. That's exactly where he shows up. Very seldom in my life when I've been in those, like, palace moments which are good and I'm thankful for and we got to enjoy them when we're in them. But very few of those moments have been the moments where God really showed up in a burning bush in my life. So if you're in the wilderness, man, you are in a ripe place for God to show up. So open your eyes. And then this morning, if you feel like God's asking or he's about to ask, if he's asking you to sacrifice and push a basket out that's really difficult, to step out, to go back to the palace and start rescuing people and leading people, then all you got to do is say yes. Right? And trust God. Build the ark. And when the flood comes, you'll be ready.